This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 273. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, this time on the show, we talk about the science of flavor with Derek Elifson. Derek shared some great materials, including flavor wheels, which is uh, their great help in the ongoing endeavor of learning to describe spirits and wines and other things, beer, food. Uh, You can find those links on bartenderjourney.net in the show notes. Our sponsor this week is Cake POS. Cake is the point-of-sale system that lets bar and restaurant owners and managers focus on the guest experience. Stop worrying about tracking every sale. Cake does that for you. You can automatically save information and review it later from anywhere. That means maybe as a manager or owner, you can actually take a day off, which is pretty rare in the restaurant business and bar business. So no matter where you are, you can check in on daily reports and know they'll be up to date. To get started with Cake, check out trycake.com slash bartender. For our Bartender Journey listeners on that link, you can get $750 off the activation fee. That's a 75% discount. And along with that discount, you get a user-friendly point-of-sale solution that includes cloud reporting and world-class 24-7 support. Check out trycake.com slash bartender. Check it out. You can schedule a demo for yourself there. We're here with Derek Elefson, and uh, I... We, I recorded you, I guess. You did a said talk at Tales of the Cocktail in 2015, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, said, said talks are basically TED talks at Tales of the Cocktail. I forget why they call it said instead of TED, but anyway, that's what we do. So uh, you gave a talk uh, about flavor and taste and science, right? Yeah, that's right, Brian. Thanks. Yeah. What does it do? What is it that you, what is your profession exactly? You're a little outside of our bartender world. Well, sure. Um, well, a lot of people ask me what I do and I like to say as little as possible, <laughs> but uh, you, sometimes I get a chuckle out of that, but uh, some people if, if that I work with don't think that's kind of so funny. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, seriously though, I'm, I work in the flavor industry and I've had the good fortune of thriving within the industry for the past 16 years, co-creating new flavored products with, with various beverage companies. Um, so I had been on the marketing side of that for the last 12, uh, 12 years or so, and then recently joined in on kind of the selling side of it. Okay. When I say flavors and flavor industry, a lot of people get me this kind of blank stare. like, flavor? What, what's a flavor? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really anything that goes in or on food and beverages. Um, if you look at the label of food products, you know, it says flavor, natural flavor. That, that's something that I would potentially be working with. Okay. But you said you said in your talk you're not a flavorist. So what is a flavorist exactly? Oh yeah, that's a uh, great question. Um, yeah, so flavors are they the people that make or create the flavors. Uh, flavorist is also known as a flavor chemist. So a lot of times they do have a, a lot of that chemistry background. And what they do is they develop flavors using natural and synthetic approved flavor aroma chemicals and plant extracts. Uh, for really a wide variety of food and beverage products. So what they, they, they basically just build recipes with ingredients made up of aroma chemicals and extracts and, and other basic food grade materials. And they take all these ingredients and they create a flavor, like a particular flavor profile that gives the impression of what they want to make or what our customers want them to make, you know, such as a strawberry flavor and orange flavor or and they're just using uh, natural materials to be able to create that impression of that flavor. So uh, a flavor, usually, there's a lot of um, science and art, and there's a lot of chemistry, obviously, involved. So there's chemistry, but I guess it's a uh, sub- there's some subjectivity to it as well, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So that's why there's the science and the art. And and you know what's amazing for these, the, the flavorists out there, they typically go through a seven-year apprenticeship and they have to be trained on as many as 5,000 different aroma chemicals and plant extracts to understand what the impressions of the, the aromas are and how they work with each other. It, uh, is, is quite fascinating. So fortunately, yeah, I'm not a chemist or flavorist, um, but I've been lucky enough to work around them over the last decade, just about every day. And I picked up enough uh, information just to kind of have some basic understanding of it, though. Okay. And you, are you a uh, sort of a cocktail enthusiast? Is that how you got involved with Tales of the Cocktail? Yeah, it is. Um, so fortunately, uh, just over the years, just picking up so many things and uh, part of my job on the marketing side of the flavors flavors world, uh, part of my job would be going into different bars around the country and just talking to different bartenders, kind of getting their idea uh, from them in terms of what are those flavors and ingredients that they're using, you know, and try to understand where the trends are happening, um, working with them on premise to then understand how those kind of flavor trends will translate into more market type products and down the road, like two or three years down the road. Um, so over the years, I had just been exposed to so much of the bartending community and understanding kind of the trends of the cocktails. And, and yeah, I really, I'm, I'm a big enthusiast. So I'm not a bartender of flavors, but um, having been exposed to it, I, I really am kind of a, a cocktail geek at heart. <laughs> cool. Well, we, we need those. <laughs> yeah. Most bartenders need, you, need those people. <laughs> There's uh, sometimes we hear um, there's a difference between flavor and taste. So uh, and I always forget which is which one. One is sort of just the basic flavors and one is sort of the whole experience, right? Yeah, sort of. It, if, if On the basic level, flavor is is primarily just aroma. So you think of everything that you smell before you put it in your mouth or even with your mouth uh, enters your mouth. You get this, the flavors, that impression of the aroma. Uh, that's kind of the basic idea of it, whereas taste is is a little more difficult, but it's thinking about our five basic tastes. So as bartenders, you always try to achieve that perfect balance with taste. So you've got your sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and then we know this fifth taste is umami. There's other scientists that will say, well, there's many more tastes. There could be 20 more tastes out there, like minerally and chalky and, and different types of, of aspects that you perceive as, as actual taste. I think from the, the bartending world, it's really fascinating because that's what you do. Right? You want to make that perfect cocktail and you want to have that perfect balance. So you're, you're adding bitters to help with the bitterness. You're adding sweetness to help with the, you know, the sweet or you're adding a, a lime for the sour you know, I know on your podcast in the past, you're a big proponent of adding a pinch of salt. So you're literally balancing out that platform of, of taste to, you know, one's not overwhelming the other. And so, yeah, you add a little bit of saline solution or a pinch of salt and you're kind of balancing out that cocktail. So I think with flavors and taste coming together, you get this idea of what uh, what we say is a flavor. So you get the aroma plus taste equals flavor. It's much more complicated than that. I gave another talk with um, some other predominant bartenders in the past around what that means beyond flavors in terms of different sensates and different impressions on in the mouth and um, just kind of enhancing that experience of the cocktail overall. Yeah, there's so, so much goes into it once you really um, start exploring things. 
I actually went, I, I mentioned that I went to a, a big wine um, show the last couple yeah. of days and oh, yeah. uh, it, it was a really fascinating uh, seminar. It was put on by Riedel, the, the company that makes wine glasses. And we tasted mm-hmm. a different, different wine in the same, the same wine in different glasses. And I was blown away by, I was very skeptical, skeptical, but uh, I was actually impressed with the results of how, you know, how such a subtle change can make, can make a big difference in your perception of what, what this thing smells and tastes like. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Even the shape of the glass, and yeah. it's, it's, it's because of how it captures those aromas differently, and how they're released at different intervals, and and your your brain trying to register and process what is that smell, and you're getting that input at different intervals and and different uh, intensities. So it really changes the overall perception of, of what you're tasting. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Yeah, and the the aroma goes so much into it too. I, I forget I forget if it was at that same seminar or a different one. Somebody brought up that um, you know we can taste five things, or you you might argue twenty five, right? It's what mm-hmm. we were just talking about, but um, you can smell something like five thousand different um, you know different aromas, or, or you can pick out five thousand different aromas. Yeah, the, the aromas are infinite. I mean, there's. You know, one of the questions we had in our seminar, true or false, you know, we can smell over 100,000 aromas. Well, it's true, but much more than that, well, the, the hard part is trying to identify what you're smelling. Right. And that's, that, that's especially when you start combining different aromas and you get new aromas and it's just kind of uh, infinite possibilities. But, um, but that kind of helps explain why everybody tastes differently also, because you might be more sensitive to a certain aroma than somebody else. You know, and then you say, what's your favorite cocktail or your favorite spirit or whatever? And and people have different tastes. You know, you hear that all the time, but that's so true because people have different uh, sensitivity levels to those different aromas and how they can pick them out and if they enjoy them or or they have great experiences with those those smells in the past. So there's a lot to be said and it's just a whole new world of of, uh, kind of flavor science to be explored yet in that category. Yeah, I think they said you could pick, well, different statistics, but the point is you could uh, pick out a lot of different aromas, but you can probably only remember a fraction of those if you try to, yeah, you know, mostly. recall them in the future. Yeah, a good way to do it. Um, early on in my career, I had uh, 100 different flavor references, and I had I was basically tested and blind tasting and saying, okay, what is it? Uh, really, a good way is to find a, a – what we call a chemical reference, which is one chemical. So you're not getting any other interference and then smelling it, tasting it, and then trying to make an association with that. So it's, Mm. it reminds me of fresh cut grass or it reminds me of when I was nine years old at the County fair and I smelled this, you know, funnel cake thing, Mm. whatever it is, because we know in the, in the brain where the, the aroma receptors are and then where you translate what you're smelling, it's right next to where your memories are made. And, 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 so it's very impactful. You know, a lot of people say that you can bring back memories in an instant, right? When you smell something right. and there's so much to be said to that. So when you're training on different flavors, really the, the key is to make an association and it could be a time or a place or somebody you were with or whatever it is. And I'm sure you've had that experience where you smelled something and it reminded you of some time in the past, but it's probably the best way to make those associations. So however, and if you have a great memory and you're creative, I mean, you can start memorizing more and more and more of those types of aromas. It, it, it does take a lot of practice and training. 
Yeah. So training, I know you can buy these kits that kind of uh, have different smells. Like I think they market those towards, um, you know, sommeliers and, and things like that. People trying to educate themselves about wine and tasting and smelling. Um, but they're, they're quite expensive, actually. <laughs> yeah, they can be. I've seen that. I've seen uh, a flavor training for Cicerones, for the beer yeah. uh, experts. And you're right. They, they basically get to the, the chemical like uh, DMS is a, is a common one, and you have that reference, and it's um, dimethyl sulfide. But then it, you you smell it, and it smells like sweet corn, or like you open up a can of cream corn, and the mm. aroma that comes. That's <laughs> what that is. And so they teach you these little tricks and give you little descriptions on how you can remember it. But yeah, those kits, well, they can be pretty expensive. But yeah, they have one for wine. They've got beer. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if something for whiskey would come out at one day, uh, one time. I don't know, yeah. but uh, it's possible. Yeah. Well, it is just um, it's a lot of a lot of practice, and well, in our case, tasting going and going to tasting events can be so. Uh, it's just so useful to be able to go to these things. I I go to um, is it, I don't know if you know Paul Packle, but he runs. Uh, yeah, and uh, he, he does these blind tastings for us sometimes, and uh, he like really challenges you. You know, he's like, well, what, what do you smell? Uh, citrus. Well, what kind of citrus? Uh, oranges. Well, what kind of oranges is it? You know, tangerine orange. Is it the lemon? Is it the uh, oils from the from the zest, or is it the the fruit itself? You know, is it ripe fruit? Is it you know? So it's just like layer after layer. But it it, it I've learned so much from him. Yeah, that that's a great guide too. I mean, when you think about Picking out flavors, it's so complicated. It can be so complex and you're like, where to start? So by focusing in on one major flavor family, if you will, it's like you said, citrus. And then you kind of drill down a little bit and focus in on that and focus in on the next level. That's that's a great way to be guided uh, through a tasting like that. Otherwise, you just feel so overwhelmed because there's so many things going on. And obviously, it depends on what you're tasting. You know, some some products are a lot more complicated than others, but at the end of the day, uh, also, as I mentioned, people have different perceptions. You know, maybe Paul's picking out blood orange, you know, and you're picking out, I don't know, kumquat or, or something, you know. So <laughs> it could be similar compounds, but you're getting more of an impression than somebody else, too. So, but, but yeah, I think that's a great way to be guided and thinking through a process of, of how you taste something. Yeah, those flavor wheels can be quite helpful too. So the, the flavor wheel, yeah. if you've never seen one, it uh, it, it'll show like let's say one category might be wood, you know, and one's fruit, mm-hmm. and one's something uh, nuts or something else, and then it goes closer and closer to the center. It's more and more and more specific, sort of like what we were talking about. I'll try. I'll try to remember to put a flavor wheel up on the um, on the website on the posting that goes along with this show because they're really helpful. They are, and they go into more specific like categories of spirits. I know bourbon's got some. There's another, others for whiskey. Um, there's a wine institute that come out with their different wine wheels. So, yeah, those are really helpful, and I think those are great guides. I might be able to send you a couple of links later on as well. Oh, great. Perfect. Sure. Well, you said uh, you said in your said talk, you said uh, chemicals play a role in every cocktail, you know, and I guess we never really think of what we're serving people as chemicals, but uh, it's, it's true, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I made that comment because, you know, I mentioned I talked to a lot of bartenders and there seemed to be this persistent myth about really what what's flavors and the, the idea is, oh, they're just chemicals, right? They're just um, chemicals made up in a lab somewhere. And they, there wasn't really a, an understanding of what that was. And I think just hearing the word chemical kind of scares some people. Yeah. But, yeah, if you, you think about the basic components of 
everything basically is made up of, of, of chemicals. I mean, the air we're breathing has got chemical compounds in it, gaseous compounds. So um, water is made up of chemicals, all the fruits and all the botanicals. I mean, literally everything is made up of, of chemicals. Um, and I think that this misperception is, okay, well, that's not good for me. Chemicals, I shouldn't be dealing with chemicals. I think, well, it's different. It's we're not talking about toxins, right? We're just talking about the word chemicals. But, you know, in a cocktail, we're shaking, we're aerating. The air has got, you know, those chemical compounds. We're using, maybe we're using fresh muddled fruit, and that's giving off these other type of uh, odiferous compounds, odor compounds that are all chemicals. Um, we're using bitters, obviously, and those are pharmacognostic derivatives. So those are kind of chemicals. And you know, it's, so it's, it's just kind of another way of looking at it, but through maybe more of a scientific lens, right? So um, and then when we say not necessarily the, um, the, the, the dosage and the uh, delivery can be the poison, really, at the end of the day. So. Um, there was a, a quote by the father of toxicology, Paracelsus, in the mid-1500s, um, early 1500s, who said, everything is poison. There is poison in everything. Only the dose makes the thing not a poison. <laughs> and, and it's funny, within the, the beverage or the bartender world, I mean, you guys are dealing with ethanol, and yeah, that, that's – literally a poison right so but we celebrate that and we we make all these wonderful things with it and and create and we add all these flavor modifiers to it and different taste modifiers and we come up with this beautiful balanced cocktail so yeah so going back to the dosage and the delivery um that that's kind of what that message was at the said talk you know everything is chemical but at the same time you got to be careful with how you use everything um so yeah a a pretty good uh, pretty good follow-up conversations on those with the different things as well. But um, at the end of the day, I just want people to understand that, you know, if you hear flavors or chemicals or let's understand what we're talking about, maybe um, understand a little more of that chemical literature and, you know, how it might really, what it really means to, to us when we're using different products. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, when we, you know, this flavored vodka thing that was, <laughs> that was sort of the bane of the bartender's existence, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is we're kind of finally getting past it, but, uh, it was a big thing for a long time, but you know, what, what's in that orange flavor of vodka? I'm assuming it's not actually any orange in it, right? Well, I, I yeah, there, there actually, there is some orange. So, you know, the, the flavor of vodka thing was, was a huge wave and it was kind of the era that we came and basically slowly, uh, morphed into some other trends, if you will. Um, but I think it really re-energized a lot of new consumers to the spirits yeah. category. Sure. Um, and, and everybody's got their own taste. I'm in that industry and I, I drink this product all the time for work when I'm not working. Sometimes I'll use them, but uh, I like to experiment with other natural things, um, natural meaning like fresh fruit, for example. So uh, there's the kind of a saying in our industry that Mother Nature is always going to be the best flavorist. So if you've got you know fresh fruit in your bar and you're muddling it, there, you know we're never going to be able to re- recreate that, nor you know just for various reasons. Um, so the example of the orange vodka that it's actually you know, if you're using a natural flavor, which um, 
So I'll just kind of read this. The U.S. regulations would say, I'll give you a quick definition and I'll help answer the question. So a natural flavorant is basically uh, flavorant is essential oil, oleoresin, essence, or extractive distillate or enzymolysis, which kind of like fermentation, uh, which contain the flavoring constituents derived from spice, fruit, vegetable, juice, edible yeast, herb, bark, bud, root, leaf, or other types of plant material. Um, or, you know, maybe there's some fermentation thereof off of those products. And their use in food and beverage products is used as a function of flavoring rather than nutrition. So that's basically kind of a flavoring thing. So when we're talking about that, let's say an orange-flavored vodka, in my world, probably now about 90% of the projects that I work on are requests for natural flavors. So the example of orange flavor vodka is most likely being made with a natural flavor. And believe it or not, it actually does contain some orange material. Okay. So, so what I mean by orange material is most likely it's got some fragments of orange oil. Um, so when you're in the bar and you're putting a orange peel zest, for example, or you want to garnish or you express that orange oil right. or that orange peel and you get that oils coming out. So we've got a way to be able to capture that and then um, build a flavor around it to make it stable because otherwise it won't won't stay in solution because it's oil and mm. it may not. Um, we won't be able to keep that flavor, bright, vibrant flavor uh, very long. So we shelf stable, right? Exactly. Yeah. So. You're never going to have that impression of the fresh, like, expressed orange peel. But um, ultimately, you want to get something that's as close as possible on a stable shelf product. Sure. So at the bar, you're always going to have the fresh, vibrant, fresh uh, fruit. And then retail, not as always the same. Um, mm -hmm. But having said that, you know, you could argue, do you like that orange-flavored vodka or not? Uh, People love it. <laughs> Well, that's it. So these the companies that make these products are catering towards a specific group of consumers. Yep. So it's interesting. You take that product here in the U.S., compare it to a similar type product in Europe, and Europe is going to be probably a little more uh, earthier or more bitter or you know less candy-like profiles, mm -hmm. just because that's what they like. Right. Over here, this you know the younger legal drinking age consumer, of course, they, they kind of gravitate towards these types of things. So I think as our tastes evolve, you know, we, we like a little more complexity perhaps, but at the end of the day, flavored vodkas wouldn't exist if there were consumers that liked them, right? So, sure. um, but I think there's a time and place for those drinks. Um, there's a lot of cocktail snobs that'll say, no way, never, I'll never use that. <laughs> And, you know, it's funny, uh, Brian, I talked to so many bartenders that oh, I never use flavored products in my bar. And I look behind them on the on the back of the bar <laughs> and there's there's all types of liqueurs. They gin. even have gin. Yeah. <laughs> Flav gin is flavored vodka, basically. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, uh, there's botanicals and distillate extracts and stuff that are used in there. And some of them are just really just flavored um, vodkas, literally. So. Um, but even some of the bitters are flavored. Um, a lot of your maybe if you're not using fresh fruit, you're anything you're using for a flavoring agent. I mean, think there's it's probably flavored. So yeah, the gin's a good example too. Um, and then it goes back to even some blended whiskeys that allow some flavoring components. And uh, so just understanding that. And at the end of the day, if that's what you like and you want to do, you know, I think there's a time and place for it. And I had the discussion with a bitters maker at Tails one year, and 
he was giving me a hard time about flavors and this and that. And then, we, and I go, well, you've got, you're telling me you don't drink anything. He goes, no, I love fireball, man. I love <laughs> just pound that stuff all the time. And that's, that's probably an example of a, you know, a flavored product that people can relate to. And like I said, it's not all the time, but you know, there's a time and place for that, even for, you know, serious bartenders. So. Sure. Well, speaking about serious bartenders, you've probably heard about this Ryan Chechiwana, which I think is how you pronounce his very long last name. And uh, he has bars in, in uh, England, in London, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, he actually makes what's called uh, fake lime juice. And he makes a daiquiri with uh, no lime at all. And uh, so I think th- this is basically what he's doing. He's making lime juice out of sort of these components or the um, – so it's just sort of the component. So I'd, I'd love to, I don't know if you've seen this before, but I'd love to read the recipe and, and hear your comments on how he makes his fake lime juice. It's uh, nine grams of citric acid powder, six grams of malic acid powder, 0.2 grams tar, tar- tartaric, tartaric yep. acid, 40 grams of phosphoric acid in a 1.25 solution, uh, 260 grams of water and one gram of salt. So yep. I've not I've not tasted this myself, but if Ryan's serving it, I'm sure it's a great quality product. Yeah, so I do know Ryan. Um, had the privilege of meeting with him and having these types of conversations as well. Um, so yeah, Ryan Chidiwardana, um, also known as Mr. Lion uh, of the Dandelion and White Lion fame of London, he um, he's got some new projects coming up in the works as well. Um, but he was a big proponent of sustainability. And I think what he was trying to show is, hey, do we need to go out and buy tons of uh, citrus fruits and all this? Um, is there a better way to do it? So he came up with some of these different um, ingredients to use. And, yeah, one of them was this citrus type, uh, I'm sorry, um, acidic compound, if you will, what you just kind of reference, uh, and be able to kind of recreate that experience uh, from a taste perspective of what maybe uh, fresh lime juice would be. You're not going to get necessarily essential oils that will provide the fresh um, fruity notes in there. But in terms of delivering on the acid piece, um, yeah, there's there's different acids that, that bartenders can use to create that taste or that lift of, of brightening up a cocktail with by using different acids. It's actually a great topic. Um, you know, we use acids in our drinks to balance out the drinks, right? So uh, acids are also a flavor modifier, their taste modifier, which says that's to say that they give uh, the base spirit uh, or, or drink or cocktail a lift and really help boost the impression of those flavors. Um, and they also provide that sense of refreshment, you know, when they have that mouth-watering and even puckering capabilities. So I think we we commonly associate citric acids with lemons and limes, which is true. Um, but we get acids from other sources also. Um, malic acid, as you mentioned, from sour apples, for example, or tartaric acid from sour red grapes. Um, there's also, if you think about other sour fruits, like cranberries with benzoic acid and uh, star fruit, we've got this oxalic acid and prunes and even some of these sharp plums with other types of acids and kiwi um, even get uh, some acids from coffee um, and one familiar one you probably know from vinegar right which mm-hmm. is acetic acid and a lot of par- bartenders are using that to make shrubs instead right. of using so yeah so it's amazing so a lot of these bartenders like ryan are thinking about well 
how else can I obtain these? So they're getting ascorbic acid, phosphoric acid, and other important to note food grade type acids. So if they're going to, if you're going to buy any of these and use them in your bar, make sure they're food grade. Make sure you know how to handle them because they're they're acids after all, and they can be very dangerous at high concentration levels. So understand the usage rate, the dosage, um, and and yeah, just make make sure you know what you're getting into. Uh, I think it's great to experiment, but at the end of the day, you really got to be careful with acids in general. Um, but yeah, otherwise you can give a different consistency or or taste perception even by using these different uh, different types of acids. Yeah, I've been doing lately. Uh, I make my lime juice, uh, and I'm I'm always. I don't want to give up those essential oils in the, um, in the skins, you know? So as I, yep. I, I actually, I'll juice the the lemon, the limes with a uh, hand juicer. So I get as much juice extracted or as much oil extracted that way as I can. But then I take the husks and I put them in a container and put uh, some sugar on it, which draws the oils out even more. Right. So then I, uh, then I'll put some hot water on that after it, after it sits a little bit to uh, make sort of a little bit of a, uh, of a syrup there. But um, what I've been experimenting with lately is now, you know, now that I've added water to this, I want to add um, a, a little more acid back into it. So I've been putting a little, little citric acid in that and mixing that back into the, uh, the lime juice that I squoze. What do you think of that? Oh, wow. How, how's that working? <laughs> it's working well. And I'll tell you what, it extends the yield of the lime juice by about 50% at least more. Oh wow! Yeah, the the, the key, trick with just citric in general is the stability, right? So, like you know, you cut a lime or a lemon, and the next day it it's done and yeah. it's oxidized and it's changed the flavor profile. And it's, so, if you've got a way to keep keep that going and and extend it out, that's great. I have to try that. Yeah, no, it works out pretty well. But uh, going back to what Ryan's doing, and and uh, what I guess what inspired him to do that was the sustainability issue, which um, which has been coming up a lot lately at Tails and other places. And uh, it you know it's quite wasteful to ship a um, you know the carbon footprint we talk about you know to ship a case of limes from Mexico or whatever you know it's going to get it on a truck and an airplane maybe first, and you know it's um, it's a big footprint to for a relatively small amount of juice in the end, you know, a case of limes, and then you end up with whatever the yield is there. And, uh, and then you have the problem of the, the husks being left over. And then, then that has to go into, uh, it to, um, whatever be, hopefully, uh, go to be composted or more likely end up in a landfill. Right. So, uh, I think that's, that's where he was coming from when he came up with that. Right. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that with sustainability. It seems like there's a very big trend right now on premise and around the world. You're seeing it in all kinds of places. And I think you even mentioned on one of your previous podcasts about uh, Trash Tiki and what Ian Griffiths and his uh, his buddies are all doing and, yeah, and tra- promoting that. Trash Tiki, yeah. Yep. Trash Tiki, yeah. So was it Trash Tiki Sucks.com or something? Yeah, yeah. Like that? <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He and, and others are really, you know, uh, calling attention to uh, kind of paying attention to what the resources are coming in and what's being used and, and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, at some point you think about our planet down the road, we got to figure out a way to make enough food and, and resources for nine billion people. And, and it's kind of mind boggling. But I think starting what, you know, at the grassroots level with, with some of these bartenders, that's great. Yeah. So a lot to be said for that, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it kind of all started with the straws. Everybody wanted to get rid of the plastic straws, and then the 
mm-hmm. conversation that just sparked the conversation that there's a lot more things we could be doing here to uh to to be more sustainable and and help out and and uh and it and it saves you money a lot of times you know like it's, it's you're throwing away things you're throwing away money yeah i think um I think at first, you know, consumers have to kind of relearn how to drink and using different straws. But it's, it's probably the similar process with other other little things that, that we don't think about. And I'm sure we're going to find – I think it's great there's a lot of bartenders kind of leading the charge in this aspect too and really helping to kind of shape the future of, of that. And, um, you know, I think consumers will understand it as well, and I think they will adapt over, you know. You know the first time you get served something that's not a – plastic straw and you're like what's this yeah <laughs> well, you get you know you get over it and you move on but i, I think that's great that bartenders can kind of lead that education and, and a lot of people look for them to see to understand what's going on and be educated there so it's, it's a great opportunity for the, the bartending community it is it really is and uh well one one last thing uh we we sure. touched on it a little bit about um salt and cocktails and you know i'm a mm-hmm. proponent of that because it just you know chefs have been adding salt to food for years because we know it wakes up the taste of things but uh is there anything else uh similar to that with we that would be unusual to think about in a cocktail but maybe could be useful uh well, if you if we go back to the idea of taste, so if the whole thing was trying to balance out the taste, that's why you're using salt. Um, but we know there's five basic tastes that all, everybody can agree on. Is so umami. So you thinking about umami is it's not really talked about in terms of balancing a cocktail. Um, you don't want something that's going to go way over the top and have this slippery, you know. So excuse me. I think anything more around viscosity or adding texture to a cocktail mm-hmm. so that's why i love shaking cocktails because you are getting that texture and it's not quite umami it doesn't like coat your tongue in that kind of savory aspect but it does add that a little extra dimension of, of texture um so as i think we're if we're thinking about that if there's other things that you know you can incorporate um that could add a little bit of that umami or some other type of texture at a really low enough level so it's not going to throw off the other tastes uh, I think that would enhance a cocktail even more and maybe not even realize it. it's like, yeah. So one of the talks we had also in the past at, at Tales was was that around Beyond Flavors. And um, we talked about adding a, a little tiny bit of horseradish to get, but not where it burns. You don't want necessarily to get to that threshold where you're perceiving a burn, but it's just this little extra kind of uh, where you're getting this impression of something else happening in the mouth and you're not quite sure but that can help elevate like red berries or raspberries for example um just kind of give it another little boost of a, of a flavor so um yeah i recommend experimenting on thinking about that in terms of balancing all the tastes and what can you do to add that extra little element um, beyond your typical flavors right it kind of boils down you, you said in your said talk about how uh cherries for instance are made mm-hmm. up you could have a natural ingredient list of that right so that's sort of where the what you guys do is kind of deconstruct and recreate right yeah so yeah basically we we take a uh, the cherry example we'll take the fruit um, we can identify what those chemical aromas are in the fruit there's one thing to uh, you got to find them, so you got to identify them, and then you got to be able to isolate them, and then you got to be able to kind of uh, put them together in a stable flavor environment. So yeah, these little flavor chemicals in cherries, you know, you've got things that give off cinnamon notes or clove notes or benzaldehyde, which is kind of the typical one that you know for cherry is kind of that cherry note. 
you put them all together and you get this impression of a cherry flavor. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a bit tricky, but yeah, once you once uh, once you have your seven years of training, <laughs> it sure becomes easier. But yeah, it's just a kind of a different way of of looking at um, uh, flavors. Um, there was a, a chemistry teacher in Australia, a high school teacher named James Kennedy. Um, uh, he actually came up with this really simplified ingredient statement. This is what if a cherry or a banana, and I think there's a blueberry and maybe some other ones. What if a cherry came with a ingredient statement? What would that look like? You know, it's got all these like chemical sounding names in it, and it just kind of shows you, yeah, that's all chemicals. Um, but when you boil it all down, and that, that, that's what makes up the characteristics or the essential uh, elements of that characterizing flavor of the of the fruit or the cherry in that instance. And that's that's what we're doing with bartending too. We're combining different things to make new new flavors in our case. But uh, yeah, it's pretty similar. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Derek. It was a great talk. Thank you so much for getting in touch and uh, and making this happen today. I appreciate it, Brian. My pleasure. All right. Cheers. Well, hopefully, we'll see you at Tales uh, this year. All right. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. You heard me mention in the interview there that I took a class where we tasted the same wine out of different glasses. I was really surprised by the results. I was able to record some audio with the lady who gave that class, and we'll have that for you next time on Bartender Journey. Don't forget about our sponsor, Cake POS. Go to trycake.com slash bartender where you can schedule a demo and get 75% off. That's $750 off the activation fee. Here's our toast. Here's to a friend. He knows you well and likes you just the same. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's made third Thomas Lipton take his shamrock off at the bar and put it in water. And it's the first time in history the Irish ever took water. <laughs>